Miracy. One of the really strange things about our brains is that social pain actually registers in our brains the same way that physical pain does. It's just like I hit my thumb with a hammer when you tell me that I upset you or hurt your feelings or that you don't like something that I did. The minute I slip into that defensive state, I can't learn. I'm Sharon Richmond, and this is To Lead as Human. For more than 30 years, I've run a business called Leading Large. I coach C-level executives to expand their impact, clarifying their priorities, energizing their organizations, and building cultures of accountability and respect. In this podcast, we usually focus on helping you to envision how to improve your own leadership by introducing you to other executives who have walked the path before you. They've learned firsthand that the positional power their role affords them comes with an equal measure of personal responsibility. Over 34 episodes, these leaders have shared some of their most challenging experiences as they build and lead organizations that provide purpose, meaning, and a healthy work environment for their employees. And one of the topics that comes up regularly is how my guests have grown from the feedback they've received. So feedback is a tough topic for most of us. And so today, rather than learning from another executive, I invite you to journey with me as we rethink the important organizational currency that we most often call feedback. As we explore this reframe perspective, I want you to imagine how your own team and organization would be if every member could communicate directly, openly, and with care and clarity. Picture all your employees having open, respectful dialogue with their colleagues and imagine how these conversations would accelerate your organization's future success. I want to start by telling you a story about a smart, capable, and very strategic executive, president of a basic sciences and drug development company, and the painful feedback he had to hear to better serve his organization. So this global organization hadn't been doing too well at their primary goal, which was developing biological compounds that could be turned into marketable medications that would treat significant health problems. The thing was, it had been more than a decade since their last big win, since the last time they had generated a compound that could successfully become a marketable product. So this president, let's call him James, and his executive team had been working to change their culture, to drive more urgency into how they were managing their scientific portfolio and to accelerate some projects that seemed promising, and to kill some projects that really seemed like they weren't going to go anywhere. James's intent was to try to help these smart, well-educated, very capable research scientists change some core behaviors that were inhibiting their ability to innovate. It was getting in the way of the fast enough progress that the organization needed. So as part of this, James started a speaking tour, where he went around and shared his vision for the future with different groups, explaining what the changes needed to be, why they were necessary, and what would happen if the company didn't make these changes. So the project team that was organizing this change effort was sitting in a meeting together. We were reviewing progress on the change effort, and James had been giving these talks for about two months. And one of the executives opened by reporting that she was hearing a lot of confusion in the organization about the direction and especially between a few of the different groups that had somehow 
internalized really different messages about what was being asked of them and why. At this point, the president, James, usually a pretty calm guy with a very wry sense of humor, literally burst out in frustration. He was like, how can they possibly be confused? I've given this talk to 20 different groups and told them where we're going in a hundred different ways. You probably hear the irony in his statement, but at that moment, he didn't. Until the CFO, who's a friend of his and they'd worked together for a long time, firmly said, well, no wonder they don't understand, James. You're saying different things and hoping they'll all get the same message. James again burst out, what else can I do? I just can't keep repeating myself over and over. I get so bored hearing myself. I can't be inspiring. And the CFO, in his little bit ironic way, said, well, that's too bad for you, James. You aren't telling them for your benefit. You're telling them for their benefit to build a common view. So you need to start saying the same words over and over until you're sick of yourself. This wasn't the first time James had heard that his messages created confusion, but it was the first time he really got it. Because he knew his CFO cared about their shared goal, and because his CFO was clear and direct, James understood that while it was critical, it wasn't personal. It was what his organization needed from him, even if it felt really unnatural for him to behave that way. And that is something that is hard for a lot of executives because often, what feels so natural and normal to us isn't what our organization needs in that moment. For most of us, even the word feedback evokes unpleasant images. I first think of the kind of audio feedback you can get from a microphone when it's too close to a speaker. But there's nothing like hearing a real person tell you. So just to make this extra fun, I'm going to surprise my producer, Cynthia, by putting her on the spot and inviting her to come in and have some conversation with me about feedback. Cynthia knows what she's talking about because she's managed quite a few people over her career, in addition to being the producer of this and quite a number of other podcasts. Cynthia, are you there? I'm here. So, as honestly as you can, how do you react when someone says to you, hey, can I give you some feedback? I want to say that I'm open to it because I know that feedback is only going to help me grow. But honestly, I just kind of gird myself. I just get really stiff. I try to feel my legs and I just try to get as grounded as possible. And I'm like, I'm about to be punched. That's kind of my reaction. So your body is gearing up against what? What are you expecting? To feel bad about myself. Yeah. And what is it about the feedback process that gets you in the mindset that however this goes, I'm going to feel bad even if it helps me later? Any ideas? Well, I can only assume it goes back to being a little girl wanting to do everything perfectly and not make any mistakes. Yeah. And of course, we talk about this on To Lead as Human all the time. Every human being makes mistakes. Our goal isn't to have no mistakes. It's to not keep making the same ones over and over. So I guess what I'd love for, for you to tell us, Cynthia, now I'm going to give it to you in a second way. I'm going to ask you something different and tell me how it feels different to you. Hey, Cynthia, I've got some observations about that last meeting. Could I share them with you? Oh, yeah, it feels really different. Okay, can you tell us how? I feel curious. My initial reaction is curiosity, and I feel open and a little bit excited. That's really cool. What's the word difference that affected you? Well, observation raised a little bit of an orange flag, like 
that flag started to come up. But then when you got really specific, I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. I got curious. So when I said in that last meeting, okay, good. And so the perspective I want to share with you all is this. I want you to rethink feedback. And I want you to think of it instead of I'm telling you what you did well and poorly, which is what we often think about, to I want to have a conversation with you in the context of our relationship with the sole purpose of inviting learning and growth. So let me just repeat that because it's a little strange to think about. Feedback is a conversation that takes place in the context of a safe relationship with the primary purpose of inviting learning. And a couple key words really jump out at me. What does it mean when I say a conversation? Easy peasy. Sounds great. And is it one or two people? Two people. Two people talking with each other, exchanging views. So it's not just me showing up with a list of things I need to lecture you about, but it's me inviting a dialogue with you about something I've experienced. And I'm curious, your intention, and I'm also curious if the impact on me was the same as the impact on others. So ideally, what we're talking about is a conversation with no blaming, no shaming, and minimal judgment. So the second thing, Cynthia, is we assume it has to happen within the context of a relationship. So if I say to you a relationship that feels safe, what does that mean to you? Well, none of my defenses go up. You know, I just feel open. And what kinds of relationships do you think of as being relatively safe? Close relationships, the people in my immediate surroundings, family, direct reports, supervisors. Yeah. Boss. Yeah. I mean, I think it's people that we have some sort of connection to. And we've learned a lot in the last few years about how relationships are at the heart of human health. They're also at the heart of organizational health. So what we're talking about here is not feedback as a practice about developing performance, but feedback as a way to build better relationships. The last part that I think is kind of interesting about this definition is the notion of inviting learning. So before you heard me read that sentence a few times, Cynthia, what did you think the purpose of feedback was? Tell the truth. Telling me what I did wrong. Yeah. Lots of us feel this way, and it's natural because we all grew up as relatively low-power children in a home of relatively high-power adults. And that's kind of where we learned about correcting behavior. But here we are now, we're all grown-ups and we're out in the work world, and we're not in relationships with our colleagues the way we were with our parents or our teachers. Even when we have a boss and we know there is a hierarchical difference, we can still have a peer-to-peer -peer relationship when it comes to talking about how we work together and what our experience of each other is. So that's why, to me, it's so important that we reframe feedback as inviting learning. Because the thing is, if I try to tell you what you're good at and what you're bad at from my point of view, I'm actually not able to be very objective. None of us are. Turns out we aren't really very objective judges of each other's performance. Studies where a subject's performance is played in a videotaped scene for a wide range of viewers, and then the viewers are asked to evaluate what they saw in terms of performance, the evaluations are very far from consistent. And that's in part because each of us is subject to so many unconscious biases from something we know all about, like the similarity bias, where because Cynthia and I both have curly hair and wear glasses, we somehow feel similar 
and we are inclined to like each other better or approve of each other more. And that's just an unconscious, natural part of human wiring. We can become conscious of it and we can develop, but we have to recognize that's the starting place. Another example would be something like a recency bias, where I've been working with someone for five or six years, and my perception of their performance is mostly influenced by how things have been the last few weeks. So if I sit down, for example, to do an annual performance review or have a conversation, I'm likely to overvalue the things that happened lately and undervalue the things that happened a year ago or six months ago. Again, these are pretty natural. So we can't entirely bust the biases. And the question then is, what can we do instead? What I propose to you is that you focus on describing the impact someone or something had on you when you offer observations. I'll give you an example. It's a fake example. Let's pretend that I have a direct report. We were presenting some research results. And when they prepared the slides, they left off the sample size, which was substantial. They're in the middle of presenting. I see there's no sample size. The audience starts discounting the findings, and I am frustrated. And I really wished that that detail hadn't been neglected. The conversation might be, Cynthia didn't do this, but I'll just pretend. Hey, Cynthia, you know, while you were giving that presentation today, I noticed that the sample size was dropped off of page six. And it seemed to me like that brought a lot of questions from the audience and a lot of challenges to the data. These little details really make a big difference in how our audience sees our findings. So I really wish you had included that detail. I felt frustrated. The audience was discounting our findings. And I guess what I'm wondering is, was there some intention that you had, a thought you had about why it shouldn't be included? Now, I know it's pretend, but how did it feel to hear that? Horrible. I felt horrible that I had made a mistake that caused an impact on the audience and that I made you unhappy. Did you think I was mad at you? I could tell that you were frustrated. Okay. Did you feel shamed? I felt embarrassed. So I think the tricky thing here for all of us as leaders is to think about the wording that we're using and think about how might it land on the other person. So if you did still feel blamed or shamed, I might want to reword how I said it because my intent was to surface it and say, was there a reason why you left it off? Because maybe you had a good reason. But my hope was by giving that example that you could see that there is a way to highlight an impact that happened to you. It's very likely that someone else in the audience didn't notice it at all and thought that that was irrelevant. So by my saying, hey, I noticed this, and that's how it affected me, did you notice any effect on the audience? you get to join me in thinking about, did you have the impact you meant to? Yeah, that's much better. So how was that better? Let's break it apart. Well, yeah, that's where the shame came up, was when you talked about how the audience felt. That's when I really started to shut down. So if I had instead asked you, hey, what did you notice the audience doing on that slide? What would that have been like? Yeah, it would have been different. Because I would have said, oh, yeah, or they seemed like they weren't paying as much attention, or I wondered why they were getting confused, or I wondered why they were looking at their phone, or that kind of thing. What we're trying to show you here as you're listening is this is an example of how to fine-tune the conversation. So it really is about observation and curiosity. And what can we learn here together? So obviously, I picked a fairly simple example. But as you start thinking about your own situation, you know, start noticing What's the impact on you 
before you start judging the act as a good one or a bad one. I did some research several years ago with executives on why they avoid giving feedback when they know they should. They know there's something that they're supposed to, they really should have a conversation with someone about and they don't. And the most common answer was, I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to damage our relationship. But when I ask the same people, when people have observations for you that might be hard, do you want them to give it to you anyway? And most people said, yes, I want to know how I come across to others. It won't hurt me. I can handle it, but all those people probably can't. They'll be too hurt. That seems not quite balanced. So what if we decide that rather than assuming what people can and can't handle, we ask? And that's the idea here behind bringing you a different kind of feedback model. There are a couple of guiding assumptions. One is that we have to be able to have uncomfortable conversations in the workplace, especially when it's about how we work together or don't how we're leading the organization or not, how the organization is reacting to us. These conversations require a certain degree of trust and feeling like we are safe with each other. I like to suggest Amy Edmondson's observation that creating what's called psychological safety in an organization is a very high standard, and it's an ambition that allows an organization to reach its highest level of transformation. That requires that we have this thing called safety. And how do we build safety in our relationships? By having conversations with each other that are truthful. So if I have a conversation with you sharing the way something you did affected me, I guess the question is, in our relationship, and I'm going to ask Cynthia to just be our guinea pig again, if I've got some experience with you, would you rather hear about it or not hear about it? I want to hear about it. And why do you want to hear about it? Because otherwise, we don't have an honest, open relationship if you're holding something back. And that back. matters to you? Yeah, yeah. And why does that matter to you? Well, I value our relationship, so I don't want anything muddy between us. Yeah, I agree, and I feel the same way. So if you listeners feel like this, here's some thoughts about how you can begin to think about giving feedback to somebody else. So again, we started with it's a conversation, which means when you open the conversation, you might start it with a question. Is it okay with you if I share some observations about XYZ? Now, if you as the leader really want to grow fast, you set the right example by going out and asking others for feedback first, because it turns out the best way to get feedback is just to ask. So I could ask you, hey, Cynthia, how am I doing at being a good host on a podcast? And you could tell me the things I'm doing well and the things that you think I could do better based on your reactions and your knowledge about what makes a good podcast. And I do ask, and I really respect your views. So that builds our relationship because we care about each other. This doesn't mean that you have to be in love with everybody you work with, but it does call upon each of us to start from a place of mutual respect and curiosity. So besides knowing it needs to be a conversation, it's your job as the feedback offerer to make sure that the relationship is strong enough that the person can hear you and wants to hear you. Even more important, they need to understand why do you want to share feedback. So if I say, hey, Cynthia, can I share an observation with you? Because I love working together, but there's some things that have been rough lately. 
and I want to smooth them out, that's got a totally different feeling than, Cynthia, you're this, you're that, I'm so unhappy, or things just aren't working, or any number of other ways that I might let my emotions erupt and push the conversation into confrontation rather than dialogue. So hopefully that's making sense as you're listening. I want to point out that a lot of this is about the way our brains are wired. We are wired to seek safety and avoid danger, to seek things that feel good and avoid things that feel bad. And one of the really strange things about our brains is that social pain actually registers in our brains the same way that physical pain does. It's just like I hit my thumb with a hammer when you tell me that I upset you or hurt your feelings or that you don't like something that I did. The minute I slip into that defensive state, I can't learn. So if our conversation is to invite learning, I need to be able to hear you from a place of, what's your intention in telling me this? What am I supposed to learn from it? Now, it could be that our relationship is such that I say, all right, let's agree how to make it better right now, but maybe I don't know. Or maybe I'm not so convinced that the way one person reacts to me is the way others do. So it isn't always the case that I can right away say, yes, I'll change my behavior. And it's unreasonable for us to expect that of others. It is not unreasonable to expect to think it through together and talk about what could be better if we did this, if we did that, if I did this, if you tried that. Those things are reasonable. And that, if you've had experience in the workplace, is something that maybe you've been lucky enough to honestly have with a colleague. But unfortunately, a lot of people have not had that experience. So what we want to do is we want to change the experience that people have and recognize that when someone is offering feedback, what they're really saying is, I care about your future success and I have an experience I want you to know about because if I don't tell you how you affected me, there's no way for you to know. How does that feel when you hear feedback framed like that, Cynthia? Yeah, that feels great. Yeah. So as a manager of other people, how does it make you think about how you could give feedback to people in your team? I like the idea of inviting curiosity. That was sort of my takeaway from what you've been saying. Thank you. So here's what we give feedback about. Imagine there's a video camera capturing our interaction. I want to use what the video camera could capture as the instance, and I want to describe it well enough so that the person receiving feedback knows just exactly when and where I'm talking about. So that's why I said to you, in that last meeting, and I could have even said, in that meeting we had with so-and-so on Thursday, you want to be specific about what you observed, first of all, like the video camera would. So... I observed you interrupting two people, or I observed you stopping an argument between two people when it seemed like it was getting out of hand. No judgment here. Either one could have been a good or bad behavior. And then I want to talk about the impact, primarily on me. So it depends on my relationship with whoever I'm speaking with. And the reason I want to share the impact is I want you to know, whatever you were intending, here's how it landed. Is that what you intended? If not, oh, well, what you intended, I would have loved. How could you have done it differently so that that impact would have matched your intention? If you as the receiver of feedback don't really understand, ask more. Well, how did you feel when I said it? Well, what did you think when I said it? Did you have concerns that came to mind? Because what we're really trying to do is mine the experience for opportunities to grow. 
once you understand the two things you're giving feedback on, then you can think about in this relationship, is it a relationship where I can ask for a change right now? Or is it a relationship where I ask for a second conversation to talk about how we might do it differently? And that puts a lot of power in both people's hands. What we're doing with our feedback conversation is we're creating a peer-to-peer dialogue regardless of the power differentials in our roles for the period of time when we are having this conversation. If you've never experienced a conversation like this, I can tell you now that you will feel heard and seen and respected. You may not feel agreed with, and that's okay, but you will feel heard. And that allows the creative problem solving that comes when we feel safe. So for the last part of today, I just want to talk briefly about defensiveness. The first thing I want you to know and accept is that your emotions are your friend. Your emotions are signaling to you what's cooking in your life. How are things going? Defensiveness is just a natural response to worrying that we might get kicked out of the club. We don't want to get kicked out of the club. Social exclusion is perhaps one of the most damning and dangerous things to a human being. We don't have sharp teeth. We don't have sharp claws. We're not big and strong, and we can't defend ourselves against danger individually. But when we're part of a community, we can. And so being kicked out of the community is a core, deep fear. So if somebody is defensive, accept it as normal and try to see how you can reframe your intentions so that they understand really you're in this only to help shine some light on an area that maybe they can do better. And if they decide no, you know, they're grownups. That's for them to choose. That doesn't mean there won't be impact or implications, but they still get to choose. And that is empowering. If you feel defensive, recognize it in yourself as it's normal. And even try giving voice to it. You can say, wow, that feels hard to hear. I want to hear it, but it's still feeling hard. Doesn't make you look weak in somebody's eyes. It allows you, perhaps, to continue hearing. If you feel like you're flooded with emotions and you can't hear, you get to say that. You know what? This is too hard for me to hear right now. I want to hear it. But can we talk in 15 minutes? I just need to get some fresh air. Or I really want to think about what you said so far. Can we talk again tomorrow? So I'm keeping the relationship connected. I'm keeping the dialogue open. But I'm not expecting people to not feel defensive. I have a lot of empathy for that. I often feel defensive when people offer opinions about what I do, say, think, write, whatever. So it's not that it doesn't hurt, but it's still good to know. I want to know the impact I have on others. And the only way I find out is by being willing to sit through my discomfort and learn. In closing, I guess I'll just say that I think giving and receiving feedback is the most important core skill for any human relationship. And so I encourage you to take baby steps and try a little bit with the people that are close to you to see if you can explore a conversation from a point of curiosity with the goal being to improve our mutual relationship. I wish you luck with this at home, where sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's harder. More than that, I wish you luck with this in in the workplace. And I guarantee you that when your team can have such conversations, work will go faster, it will be easier, and your organization will succeed more quickly. Thank you for joining me today for this provocative discussion on one of a leader's most important skill areas, how to communicate growth opportunities 
in a positive, learning-oriented manner. I'm Sharon Richmond, and this has been To Lead as Human. You can find out more about me at leadinglarge.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G, large.com. To Lead as Human is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Just Between Coaches and Making It. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Danny Eaney is our executive producer, and post-production is provided by Marvin Del Rosario. So you don't miss upcoming episodes, please do follow us on Miracy FM's YouTube channel or on your favorite podcast player. Because this was a little bit of a different show today, I'd really love to hear what you think about it. If you could send me an email or share a note on LinkedIn with me, I'd very much appreciate it. Sharon at leadinglarge.com. And tell your colleagues about the show. The more leaders we can influence, the better for everyone. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you next time on To Lead as Human.